This is the Dusted Waterfowl Podcast, a branch off a of Huntfish Conserve with seasonal content talking all things waterfowl. This podcast is hosted by Tyler Swenson, Jackson Rice. Today we will be talking about beginner recommendations, gear recommendations, and how to get started as a beginner. So some beginner recommendations that we would have. We were beginners at one point in time and it was just a guessing game from the start. I mean, we really didn't know what was going on. We were just doing what we thought was right and made some mistakes. So yep. hopefully we, we can. Yeah, we didn't have anybody to. Um, My dad didn't hunt. Swenny's dad didn't hunt either. And we just kind of had to figure it out for ourselves. Had a little guidance along the way sometimes. But I think we said uh, in the previous podcast, we talked a little bit about how we just set up in a field randomly, like pick a field but like we'd we'd say oh let's go let's go hunting tonight and where do you want to go oh let's go to this field not that we saw a geese there the night before or something like that we just pick somewhere and go yeah that's when we didn't have to worry about competition and scouting and whatnot we just kind of re-roamed and we were happy about it and but now we kind of got kind of got some standards we gotta go by yeah scouting wise so, so some beginner recommendations uh what would be something you guys would uh, what would be a good piece of information you would be give to someone trying to get into the sport? Well, uh, first thing I'd say is try to find someone who already does it. That's the best way to learn to go about it because you don't have to buy your own decoys or you don't have to call and you can get with someone who knows it and they can help you out from the start. Yeah, definitely. I'm people who can give good knowledge and insight on maybe what to do, what not to do, and give give more information to boost your confidence or maybe and maybe even teach yourself if you really enjoy the sport or maybe not, you know. Yeah. Tips along the way are great from people, but I really did like how we figured it out for ourselves most most mostly. Yeah, what do you what do you think, Ethan? Um you kind of came, Jackson and I have been hunting together for a couple of years before you came into the scene and we kind of introduced it to you. What did you think first coming on? I guess, you know, just one of those things like where you've never done it or been around it at all. I think you just have a lot of questions like in regards to, you know, how does the hunt even like work? You know, like how is it like how do birds come in? And, you know, I just, those questions can be answered like pretty fast, like when you do get out and hunt. But, you know, it's like some of the gear recommendations, you know, you're, you're like, you know, it is like one of those things you're just trying to like fit in with everybody else. And, you know, you don't want to be like the guy who like necessarily ruins the hunt, which I don't think there's any way a beginner could really ruin a hunt if you're listening to those people around you. But, you know, I just think like when you're walking into something new and just like I did, I had a lot of, I was really nervous. And I think, you know, it's one of those things I was lucky enough to have, like, know you guys beforehand and like be familiar enough where it was like, you know, you guys tell me something and I could be like responsive about it. And I felt open enough where like I could ask you guys a question and won't feel dumb asking you a question. I, I think that's like the biggest thing, but, and then, you know, like that's why I said it, I was really lucky to have like people I actually knew hunted. And I feel like a lot of people aren't necessarily as lucky. So like kind of the stem off there is like, where would you guys like recommend if someone like didn't know anybody to like start, you know, I mean, it's a lot easier. Like when, like, I know, Ty, like, you said it before, it's like, when you and Jax kind of started hunting together, it was, like, you both your games kind of got upped because you found someone else who was, like, serious and, like, wanting to learn. So I think, like, if you can't find someone who isn't, like, super experienced that you know super close, like, you know, being able to find someone, like, similar around your age who's, like, as interested and wants to put as much effort in as you, I feel like that's a good way to get started as well. Yeah, definitely. I didn't ever think of it that way, you know. I... I hunted with my grandpa and, you know, it was, again, it was one of those things we just went and hunted a field because we wanted to go hunting and not necessarily birds were there the day before, but, and then I found Jackson who really liked to hunt and he was a couple of years younger than me. So that's kind of how we first developed our friendship originally is through hunting and we didn't know it all before by any means and we still don't know it all today, but it does help to have someone, you know, kind of be on the same bus as you 
wanting to pursue more and more and want to learn more and more about waterfowl hunting you know why didn't we shoot any birds this day or why did we shoot a bunch of birds this day and definitely reaching out to even like ducks unlimited or something and watching more videos on how to and what not to do and yeah youtube's a great place to go for some of that stuff if you and a buddy are serious about it and you don't really have any guidance. I've learned a lot of things from YouTube and just the internet in general and reading. Even like a Ducks Unlimited uh, magazine. Those are good too. Yeah. Stuff like that. And I mean, it's one of those things like when you're reading something like you guys were, it's like you would read something like during the week or like during the off season and then you would apply it during an actual hunt. And like that's the best way to learn and kind of fit. Because like a lot of the articles you read or people you listen to like might not be in the same circumstances that you are. But being able to take just a little piece and apply it to what you're doing, I think it's a big part of what hunting is. Yeah, and the best guidance I guess I could give someone is, and this goes with anything, you know, maybe read the season. The season looks long, but it seems very short. Short. But if you read up on something, take one piece of information and maybe, you know, try to do something a little different in your decoy spread today. And then if that doesn't work, do something tomorrow that might change the results. You know, don't don't try to go all out in one hunt and think, wow, this isn't working. You know, I guess our success comes from a lot of trial and error. Yeah, that's the name of the game, really. Trying new things. If it doesn't work. Scratch it. But if it does work, then use it and then maybe keep implementing things as you go on that could possibly make your hunts better. You know, talking about that too, I mean, another resource you use, like even the DNR officers, I mean, these DNR guys, I mean, they're around the clock all year. I mean, they know, and they've been working for many years. I mean, a lot of those guys know who hunts and who doesn't. And, you know, even contacting one of those guys, they might be able to put you in contact with someone who is interested in hunting. And, you know, they might even have, I know like for pheasants, I'm pretty sure in Iowa, they have like beginner wing shooting courses where they'll take you pheasant hunting or can hook you up with a mentor. So I feel like some of that stuff really good and the dnr does try to do some good resources there and if you're young as well you know there's a lot of youth seasons where a lot of uh i shouldn't say older guys but older guys will volunteer their time like you? <laughs> not like us yet no nope. hopefully we'll never reach that older yeah, status <laughs> but they'll volunteer their times and they'll be more than willing to take you out and you know show you the ways they love that stuff so don't be afraid to take some of those opportunities or ask some of those guys if you ever get the chance. So some gear recommendations, um, shotguns, you know, a lot of people get involved in the sport and are like, you know, what shotgun do I buy? That was me. Like you go to Cabela's, I mean, you know, you just got all these walls of shotguns or any gun store. You just see like a wall of shotgun. You're like, man, I don't really know what to even look for. You know? Yeah. Does that camo one look nice? You know? <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what I thought about at first. So. Yeah, that was me at first. It's like, do I buy the camo <laughs> one or the black one? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I knew about shotguns. Yeah. And there's a lot that comes with shotguns. You can either go semi-automatic, you can go pump, and then getting even more in depth, like a gas shotgun versus uh, a recoil-based action shotgun. It's just really, it's just preference. <laughs> So I got a gas shotgun and you two have a recoil based shotgun, yeah, correct? Inertia. Inertia driven. driven, yep. What is what is your guys' opinion on that? My jam's less than yours. Yeah, I don't get it. <laughs> How many times have you seen my shotgun jam? Well, the thing is that you don't take yours out late season. <laughs> Whatever. Last year I did, right? Yeah, last year. The first year he had his shotgun, he took his eight seventy out. He took his eight seventy pump. I was a little afraid because Rice kept telling me he's like, yeah. I heard people late season don't, I, their guns freeze up because it's cold. We have shot trap like in November, December time and your gun has jammed up. That was the only, the one time Ethan and I were shooting trap out at his place and gun froze up. But you think but, we could have been hunting then and a neck band just came right into the spread and we're, me and Ethan are going to be shooting at it don't and you're just going to be there it. working on your gun. I'll be aiming so that I can at least maybe claim that duck. <laughs> we'll draw straws. Nah. Semi-automatics, I guess they're not necessarily 
more expensive by any means. Well, especially now. I mean, I feel like the market's kind of settled down. And like, there's some more cheaper options. Like, you know, I think Benelli owns Stoger, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Benelli owns Beretta. Yeah. Stoger, Bronchi. I mean, like when I first got into it, you know, I didn't want to make a huge money investment. So I bought a Stoger and that Stoger's done really well for me. I've never had any problems with it. I think me and you were at Cabela's, right? And yeah. we saw it was a really good deal. I think I think I got like 400 with like some kind of rebate. And the only thing is like that one doesn't shoot three and a half inch, but that's another topic. But, you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah. like, that's another thing. It's like, you know, it's kind of comes down to preference there, too. But should we should we bring that up while we're at it? Shell I choice know. for your shotgun? Well, we'll talk a little bit more about shotgun. So, like, you know, if if you can, like, you know, if your dad has an old shotgun, it will work. I mean, a pump action shotgun will work. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it's going to shoot a shell and it's going to kill another bird just like the next shotgun does. So, I mean, if you have something like that, like, you know, just feel free to use that. I feel like a lot of people want to, like, go out and, like, buy all this stuff when they don't necessarily have to when they first start out. But, you know, using a semi-automatic, like, what advantages do you guys see to it? You know, I mean, just to a beginner, someone who might not know some of the differences between that and a pump i guess um i'll start with uh the disadvantage of it would be um you know a pump action starting out it really teaches you to shoot you know they always say yeah if you don't swing you won't hit a ting is that what it is i think you're right yeah if you don't swing you won't hit a ting and i mean it really it really helps you only get one shot before you have to you know in your mind you know pump my shotgun and shoot again Whereas semi-automatic, you know, a lot of people can be caught up and just shoot, shoot, shoot. Fire them rounds off. Just all three within I'm two st- seconds. I'm still fairly green. It's like halftime, like when a group comes in and we're working them, we just, Jackson yells, kill them. It's like, oh, I know it. It's like I'm out of shells. <laughs> yeah. I remember, uh, <laughs> Ethan, you hit any? I don't know. I was just <laughs> shooting. <laughs> yeah. And to go off that, one of the biggest things I've learned, like advancing and growing up as a duck hunter is not block shooting and picking out a bird out of the flock and aiming at one bird. I feel like I I feel like when I do that I hit a lot more birds. And then if you drop one, then you can go on to the next one instead of just trying to so shoot the whole flock. Do you down. as well think that beginning with a pump shotgun could or maybe not, beginning with a pump shotgun could attribute to, you know, learning that lesson early on? I did start with a pump shotgun. I didn't really find a difference in between a pump shotgun and an auto or a semi-automatic, just how fast I could get the shells off. Mm-hmm. But if you are on a budget, like starting out, I would get a pump shotgun. Yeah. For sure. It teaches you to be a little more sparing with your shells because you think you got you to gotta pump it and you have less time and whatever. Yeah, I feel like, you know, pumping that gun definitely kind of makes like a mental reset where like a semi-auto, it's just like, you know, you're on it. And then like the next one, you just kind of bam, bam, bam. Or, you know, next time you get to pump it. So, yeah. Cause I feel like, I mean, I catch myself doing it all the time, you know, say there's a single duck flying in and you shoot and you, you miss the first shot. Maybe you didn't drop it the first shot. And it seems like you're playing, trying to play catch up with it, with an automatic shotgun. You're just shoot, yeah, you, shoot, you shoot. Are, and you're just like, behind it the whole I get time. That. I really, I really feel that. Like I find myself chasing birds often when I'm trying to swing on them. Yeah, and it's mostly, I feel like that happens a lot more with yeah. single birds. I feel like it's because I'm trying to just fire these rounds off the best I can. Like, Especially oh, if you're shooting by if yourself. I get these out, if I get these rounds out, I will hit this bird, but I'm just behind it the whole time. It yeah, does not work Eventually, out. I'll hit this bird. And some of this just speculation, I mean, still being like pretty green to it. I mean, I get pretty excited like when a bird, you know, when a flock's working and we're ready to shoot. And it's just nothing that can like, you know, it just, it just comes with experience and more like times like shooting at birds because... I mean, everybody gets excited. So being able to like control that excitement to a certain factor is really what's important. Like when those birds are coming, I'm just, I'm like in the matrix. It's yeah. like slow motion and it's awesome. It makes for, it feels like it goes for longer than it is. But like, that's kind of more like with experience, though, right? Yeah. Like that probably like when you first started, it was just like, cause when it comes through, I mean, those birds just like do they're right in by. They're out. It's <laughs> crazy. I remember... I mean, this is a little off subject, but maybe we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. I can't remember, but I remember Ethan's first teal hunt and it was, it was a great hunt. It was a phenomenal hunt. We had a good spot. Yeah. Birds were just dumping yeah, in. We scouted that all week and we worked for that. Yes. We were out there. At, well, we, we were the 
second to the boat ramp. I think you ramp. were out, out there I was at out midnight. There at, no, I was out there before midnight. I was out there at like, well, me and a buddy, we were driving out there. We were just cruising around. Went out to check it out, and there were people out there since 1030. So we went back, got the boat hooked up, got out there about 1115. So we were second, and thankfully those guys didn't go where we wanted, but we got to launch second and got there uh, like probably about 1215. Okay. Yeah, and then you picked Ethan and I up later. Picked him up at three. But anyways, to sleep in. I remember a couple of those packs. I mean, you were, I mean, beginning of the season, I think everyone has those, you know, early season jitters, you know, birds are coming in, adrenaline is rushing and it just happens so fast. I mean, they start you off with one of the fastest flying ducks around. And after you haven't seen a bird for a whole year. Yeah. Yeah. And then. I remember walk. It was it was so much fun bringing you on that first hunt, Ethan. I mean, just seeing your eyes light up and ducks flying around, and you you didn't know where the hell you were shooting, but we were having fun. Oh, yeah, that it was a lot of fun. That was probably one of the one of the most fun hunts I've been on. Yeah. So I mean, sorry to get a little off topic, but some of these topics they just need a little more context. You know, know? a little light bulb goes off in my head, and it's like story time. Yeah. Nope. No, but that's that's good. I mean, I feel like one of those things, to like being able to like be in a group, though, it's still nice because like I see you guys. And I don't ever know if I dump any, but if you guys dump them, at least like we all get to share the limit, you know. And mm-hmm, yeah. We all get birds at the end of the day, so it's still a fun experience. Yep, and I love that about. I mean, our hunting group, like I we've said previously, it's our limit, not yeah. yours or mine. Yeah, and I don't like to claim birds either, especially if the whole group's shooting at them. So I guess we can talk next, uh, waiters, you know, waiters are a pretty big factor if you got marshes around you and especially around here, early teal season, about the only place you can hunt is water. Because yeah. all the corn's still standing and honestly, you're not really going to hunt teal in the corn anyways, no, or no. a dry field, like anything like that. Water is the only place that we hunt them. Yeah, so water and, you know, it's been warm for us in previous years, but, you know, once in a while it might be a cold morning. So, so what do you buy? Sitka. Uh, yeah, Sitka. <laughs> Let's just drop 900 bucks on a pair of Sitka waiters. More than my gun. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. It's more than my gun. Yeah, more but, on the waiters, less on, no. Yeah. I mean, what do you need to shoot for anyway? <laughs> but in all seriousness my opinion i would buy with the budget i have and all of us have uh neoprene waders like a cabela's or a lacrosse or something like that probably 800 gram thin slit boots or 1600 or 1200 anywhere up in there you can always layer wool socks under them and they are nice but and a lot of it is personal preference like if you run a little warm blooded i probably would get like an 800 or yeah 1200 i think you, you i think i not, run 1200 you do not want to sweat when it's cold out that's the worst thing you could do yeah yeah that's one of those things you kind of gotta like apply it to your situations you know like how much do you guys use waders in november you know we don't hardly ever use them no. in november no thank god that must be a really desperate hunt if yeah sure. because <laughs> yeah because if it's cold out my waders leak and i'm getting water in my legs and stuff it's not fun but if you're river hunting like in like November or the winter, you know, like you might want some, you know, nicer waders or heavier. For sure. For sure. And like Jackson said, you know, a factor you got to play is that once, you know, you're setting up decoys, it's hot, your body's moving and you're sweating. And once you stop, that sweat gets really cold in a hurry. Yeah. A little tip I have for trying to avoid that is just when you're walking in, just shed layers, like don't wear your full outfit when you're going in because you're gonna get hot it's you're carrying waiters or you got waiters on you're carrying decoys your gun your bag it's it's heavy and you're gonna sweat well yeah and if you're worried about like being warm i mean just work a little harder right i mean then make yourself sweat a little harder and then be warm in no time yeah i Mm -hmm. like that get out there and get in the thick of that mud i know mud is a big deal it'll burn some calories for you (laughs) yeah it'll burn calories in a heartbeat but, you know, we previously talked about shotguns, so, I mean, what ammo do you put in your shotgun? Super X. Super X? You guys a big <laughs> fan? Blue Bonds. Used to be well, Super X. Wow. Well, still is Federal Super Blue X. Box too. 
well, no, a big, a big issue. Well, first time is like, you know, lead versus steel. You know, I think most states, not for sure, but at least Iowa, you have to shoot steel. Yes, Iowa, you have to shoot steel unless you're pheasant hunting on private land, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, so steel shot is the way to go. And whether you're deciding, you know, we talked about shotguns, whether you can shoot three and a half inch or three inch shells. From our experience, three inch shells yeah, are the way make, to it go. It doesn't make that much of a difference. Yeah. It doesn't. I shot three and a half shells for a long time. Bad experience, one field hunt. But the story goes, I was shooting three and a half inch shells or something. It was pretty early on. This was when we really didn't know what we were doing. But we were hunting with a guy who did know what we were doing. And don't get me wrong, it was friendly banter out there. But he saw me shooting three and a half inch shells and he's like, what the heck are you shooting those for? I, I don't know. I've always shot three and a half inch. And basically he said, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, we're all shooting birds. Yeah. You're only getting a couple more BBs with three and a half. Yeah. Only a couple more BBs and it costs a lot. Not, not a lot less, but once you shoot box after box, yeah. it does cost a lot and, less to and shoot three inch. they are harder to find too. They are harder to find. But yeah, that was like a, that was about a 15 minute, 20 minute roast. That's when he was in the yeah, field. Yeah, I was getting really He was getting ripped fired up by this old there. boy. Well, that's the thing too. You can kind of make up, like for yourself too, because when you do buy a shotgun, they are gonna. There are shotguns that will take three inch. There will be ones that take three and a half. So uh-huh. it's important to look for. And it all, it is all personal preference. What you like to shoot, what you're comfortable shooting, you well, know, and confident. Like if you're more confident shooting three and a half, like you think you kill more birds shooting three and a half. Well, shoot three and a half then. I mean, yeah, if that's if that's what your personal preference is, and that goes with shot 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 size as well. You know, um, let's talk duck loads first off. What do you like to shoot for duck loads, Race? Well, I like, well, let's go with this. Early season for teal and wood ducks, and when they don't have that full plumage on them, I do like a number four. But as we get later into the teaser, or season, I'll move into a number three. And maybe if I'm hunting like late, late season, just mallards, just flat mallards, big, green-headed. Mallards, corn-fed, uh, yeah, big corn-fed fat one. Love those corn. Head. Yeah, corn head, corn-fed, corn-fed. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll move into number twos. Yeah, I I have um, I guess I've always had confidence in shooting four shot. I mean, they don't they don't drop ducks as hard as like a three shot or a two shot in my experience, but. I guess the confidence comes from four shot. So that's why I shoot four shot. Yeah. Like it just kind of comes all back to confidence. I mean, whatever you feel confident. And I think that's the biggest thing and kind of like what you can ever find on the shelves. You know, if you can find a four or two, you know, kind of pick up whatever you can. And yeah, honestly, like three shot is hard to find sometimes. Yeah, it really is. It's kind of a odd number to find when I'm feeling down on my confidence. I do go back to a four shot. That's what happens, huh? That's yeah. when that's when you ask, hey, Swanny, can Swanny, you can you give can me I a trade your box threes for some fours? <laughs> yeah. But uh goose loads, I typically shoot double B out in the field. Yep, pretty we're pretty plain with that, just double B. That does the job well. Pretty pretty common shot size for goose. Yep. And yeah, it does the job, drops geese and there's a little tip for that. I mean, I think that's a pretty significant like recoil difference though. It is. It is. It certainly is. Winchester Super X double Bs are about the hardest, the hardest kicking shell I've ever shot. In all honesty, God, I got some T shot given to me the other day. You can't use that. Can't use that. Uh. Uh-uh. Why? It's okay, illegal. Here's a good. Yeah. Why can't you use T shot anymore? I'm honestly not sure, but I do know it's illegal. Really? Yeah. Look that up. On a side note. Yeah, but I mean, like, I feel like just, like, being able to, like, even if you shoot one off, like, just trap shooting or something, I mean, I feel like it's a good thing to know the recoil, and not be scared of it, but be kind of informed. Uh-huh. I've never thought about the recoil when we've been hunting geese or anything, but no. I feel like it's just something important to know. Yeah, it seems like always when the adrenaline is rushing and you're ready to go, birds are flying, and you don't, you kind of blank that stuff out, but definitely practice with those rounds. Make sure you're ready for what's to come. 
Okay, but here's another question for you, Ty. If money wasn't an issue, would you buy something better than Super X? Or like, do you just buy Super X because it's cheap right now? I buy Super X because it's cheap right now. Yeah. If I had the money to spend, I would probably buy Heavy Shot. Heavy Shot. Heavy X. Heavy X. Tungsten, $40 a box. Yeah. You buy Heavy X? It's way, that is, that's. It's way better for the environment. You can't argue that. But, you know, that's the thing, though. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, as much as you guys hunt or we hunt, you kind of almost want something cheap because otherwise Doug is really, really spendy because, I mean, you'll pack them in a box and before you know it, it's like, damn, I already went through like two boxes or whatever. (laughs) Especially those early two. Yeah, when we were rough shooting and stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you got to get the rust out of the bucket when you're shooting early teal. So you fire a lot of rounds early on. But, you know, coming back to all this, I mean, Ty, you've dropped a lot. I've dropped a lot shooting Super X. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's... Rice has dropped a lot shooting Super X, but yet he still thinks something's better. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's the same deal, honestly. And what have we been talking about? We've been talking about confidence. I am confident in Federal Blue Box. Last year? Yeah. <laughs> we, I shot Federal Blue Box completely through the season. Actually, I take that back. I didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> For geese, I shot Federal Blue Box. For ducks, I shot Super X. Super X. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, when we do say Super X, if people don't know, like, it's probably your cheapest. It is probably the cheapest steel shot by far, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Rice, does Federal make a cheaper steel shot? Super X is the cheap steel shot. It's a, it's a great way to go. And by far, like around us, I mean, you see a lot of it on the shelves, too, which is nice. Yes. Yeah. Yes, certainly. So I guess we can go on to the next topic while Bryce maybe can find that. I don't know. There's not much on the internet here. I'm trying. <laughs> but uh, so buy a call or not. Hammer on that call. Hammer on that call? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't there- matter what you sound like. Kazoo, <laughs> uh, Barton, I don't know. Just bring Just- a kazoo out there. Yeah. <laughs> no, but definitely, definitely buy a call. I mean, even if it's something simple, like Rice said before, a cheap duck call can get you by, but a more expensive goose call can really enhance your definitely confidence and ability to hit some of those notes early on. But just practice. And even if you're going out by yourself, you know, just hammer on the call for a little bit and, you know, you can kind of find success in your own world. Yeah. And I mean, this one we can kind of experiment with too this year. Like, you know, even maybe if, you know, last group we got, you know, maybe it's only we're like one or two birds short of a limit. You know, maybe you just let that guy who's not as experienced, you know, hammer on the call and see what kind of what he's been working on. You know, if he has actually been working on his call. And that definitely gains confidence in a group. You know, certainly you don't want to show up to say, you know, you're invited to a new hunt and I get it. You know, I'm not the best caller in the world by any means, but everyone's nervous to start hammering on the call. Everyone's nervous. And you don't want to be that guy just hammering and the guy next to you says, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And I'm definitely not going to be that guy to tell anybody that. So someone else has to do that. I mean, Swenny's kind of the the enforcer out in the (laughs) blind. No, I'm not a dick by any means. But Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's also like, even like when you personally blow on a call or when I blow on a call and I'm not that good, it's kind of hard to hear feedback unless you are around somebody. So having someone that can actually like who is experienced and knows what one should sound like mm-hmm. is really good. Me and Swenny tuned his call to last weekend. I think last or, weekend. Yeah. We or the weekend before weekend. something like that. Yeah. And it, and I was giving him feedback as he was blowing it and it did sound good. Yeah. It definitely played a, I think that it made me sound better just by upgrading calls, but so, definitely. So what with calls though, like you kind of get what you pay for, right? Though I I think so. I think I think it plays a big part in your ability and your confidence out in the field. Yeah, because I mean, like you could have like it's probably better, and like if you're really serious about duck hunting, it's probably better to spend like a hundred bucks and buy a good duck call. Than having like three shitty or four shitty ones. You'll get the best sound. I mean, I know people hunt with like, they just say, oh, you don't need a fancy duck call. And I mean, they do kill birds, but if you want the best sound for yourself and for those birds and the best resonation through the call, 
you would probably buy an expensive call. Well, let's circle back to confidence too. I mean, if you think you sound better with the call, you're probably more likely to use the call and hammer on it. Yeah. And actually utilize it the way it's supposed to. Where if you use a cheap call, you might be a little more hesitant to maybe birds a little call shy or something. Yeah. And what we said before, you know, starting in a new group, you know, you're kind of afraid to call. Um, don't be afraid to like beforehand say like, you know, Hey, you know, listen to what I got or something like yeah. that. I mean, build that confidence and don't be afraid to show some of that confidence. Yeah. Or maybe even bring it up like a couple of days prior before you go hunting. Hey, say, Hey, can you listen to me call? Tell me if it's good or not. If I should bring my calls or not. Like that's happened to me before. My buddies that came up to me say, Hey, should I call today or should I leave it in the bag? I'm like, well, it's kind of short notice, so I just leave it in the bag. But if you bring it up like the week before or the week coming up to the weekend where we're going to hunt, maybe then we'll take a listen. And a little a little criticism goes a long ways as well. And I would say, like Tyler said, if you're invited on a hunt, err on the side of not bringing a call. Because, I mean, you're kind of in somebody else's ter- ter- territory or somebody else's hunt. And you don't want to be the person that's ruining it or whatever. Some people, some people even feel disrespected by that sometimes. Like really? I'm not that kind of person that would feel disrespected yeah, by I'm that. I'm not. I'm not either. But like I've heard of people like if you call and they're like the, if they're the main caller if they're the only one calling, and you try to call it can kind of feel disrespected by that. I can see that. Yeah, I can see that with some people. Not me. Not Swenny, but <laughs> it happens. So let's get on the subject of ground blinds versus a frames. I like. A-frames, early season. Early season? Early to mid. And then they just kind of stick out a little bit. I don't know, late season is kind of nice, that Mr. Buddy Heater in there. It definitely is. But if you're going to take it out late season, you better have a banging hide. So you mean like if it snows on the ground or just late season in general, like when birds are shy? Let me rephrase myself here. Early season, you can get away with a lot with A-frames. Because the birds are so, yeah, because they're they're more green. yeah. Yeah, they're green. But, I mean, late season, you can't get away with some of that stuff. So you almost have to hide in a fence line. I don't think you could hide in a, like a, like a waterway in a field like you could early to mid-season. But you can do that. You can't do that late season. No, for sure. But if you do have a good hide and it is nice to have buddy heaters, like we did with Ethan's brother, which was nice when, because he's just a little guy. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's by far the most fun and probably easy Mm-hmm. If you want to be just most, well, to rephrase that, just most comfortable too. Yes, comfortable. it's definitely way more comfortable. But, you know, some of those big layout blinds, I like taking a nap in them. It is, yeah. But you also have to be like, going back to something else, I mean, you have to be comfortable. I mean, most people who shoot trap, they do so standing up, you know. Yes. So, I mean, you have to do, like, you, when you're shooting an A-frame, you're standing up most of the time, so. Yeah, it is nice. It is actually, because we hunted with, with layout blinds forever. We and then we got an A-frame this year, and it was it was really different. It was a lot Shooting different. Shooting at a bird and swinging in an A-frame. Mm-hmm. It took a couple months to get used to. Yeah, because you definitely got to be, I feel like you got to be a little more careful shooting out of an A-frame. I mean, there's a lot more swing to your whole body. And then there's a guy just yeah. to the left. Right next to you. Yeah. So I I enjoy hunting out of both. I think there's a place a time and a place for each of them, ground mm-hmm. blind or A-frame. Ground blind, I mean, half of the time you're just invisible. Yeah, you can really disappear with a ground blind. Yeah. Just... But like packability-wise, though, you want to talk about like that, I mean, a ground blind can be a little more packable and maybe, like you said, you can get away with a little more where the A-frame is a little more to bring out, a little more intensive to put up and mm-hmm. put together. Yeah. Especially, we uh, pre-grassed our A-frame last year and it was kind of a big wad once it's yeah. pre-grass. But, I mean, that makes so it so much easier for you yeah, when you get out if there. If you don't, I do recommend pre-grassing it with ditch grass because that's what blends in best. And it'll yellow over the season so you can just keep using, keep using it and add as you go mm-hmm. to, what the field, to what the field is looking like. Because even your ground blind, too, I mean, pre-grass it and say you're in a cornfield, put a little corn stubble in there. It blends in very yeah, nice. Really in. Especially when the corn gets gold, then that, then the ditch grass is also brownish gold. So it'll blend in. Really good. 
but ground blind i mean if you're looking to get into the sport definitely look into getting a ground blind before an a-frame i mean the a-frame comes i think when you got a group of buddies where you're all into it and it's worth spending the money to buy an a-frame yeah you can split the cost a little more and everything but you go back to the ground blind i think a big thing is like comfortability wise like you know with us being like average size guys i mean i think there's like a you got to get a ground blind that you're comfortable in i'd say we're taller than the average yeah taller yeah but i mean just like that i mean just even with that i mean you want to be comfortable I mean, yeah. it allows for a better height and allows for you to be more comfortable, especially like if it's cold out. Mm-hmm. The last thing you want to do is just like be uncomfortable on yeah. the ground. Like, and another thing with being cold out is just honestly laying on the ground. That that ground is just sucking the heat out of you. You're not. You don't have a barrier between. I guess you could put something in there, but it's you're gonna get cold. Yeah, it, it is a lot colder sitting in a ground blind blind late season than it is sitting in an A frame. Then you end up standing up. Out of your layout blinds and birds bust. Yeah. It just happened to us last good. year. Yep. Plenty of times. <laughs> Some speckle bellies. We speckle don't bellies. see speckle bellies much nope. in our area. And- nope. And we had a chance to drop one, but we, we but it busted us bad. <laughs> yeah. We were in the A frame, maybe. <laughs> well, we thought it was a hawk. <laughs> that was, well, that Is was that a hawk. That happened to us twice. Yeah. We got busted by late season. We got busted in our A frame. <laughs> It was like snow geese. It was like three snow geese and one speckle belly all rolling with each other. I didn't even know what the sound was. I'd never, because we don't get, we don't get snow geese here. It was kind of like a. They were just kind of hitting like a murmur almost. Yeah, just a murmur all the way over us. And I was like, I look behind, I'm like, no way. It's snow geese. And then there's a speck with them. uh, But it would have been cool because Ethan's little brother was on that hunt and it would have been cool for his first bird to be a snow goose or a speck that would have been crazy i mean i know some areas get millions of those things but around us they're hard yeah. to come by so yeah. it would have been kind of a crazy shoot yeah, that, that day even though we wouldn't have gotten the number of birds that's so that would have made my day yeah some of those days even shooting one bird just makes my day yeah that's fine it's i mean enough for me being out there is one thing and i love just being out there regardless but then to shoot a bird on top of that i mean that just makes the hunt so, um, importance of practice, uh, make sure you're, you're practice up before you go with a group of guys, you know, make sure everyone's safe and you're practicing safe things like cleaning your shotgun and knowing, you know, your shooting lane and shooting lane's a big thing. Yes. And, you know, put your, putting your gun on safety and maybe even unloading your gun when you're out to pick up birds or something like that especially if you're using a layout blinds because then the guns are pointed to the spread so you probably you might want to unload them just to be safe i mean the lake could have happening maybe isn't that high but if it does happen like it's simple to avoid that scenario yeah i mean that's something else i mean even like in the snow being able to like pay attention like where your barrel's at it's pretty easy to get snow in your barrel or something Mm -hmm. yeah and then you could balloon out your barrel with just maybe an inch of snow in your barrel. Yeah, it, it happens. So, I mean, make sure to check those things while you're out hunting. Yeah. And practice loading and unloading your gun safely. And A-frames, if you're in an A-frame, you know, your guns are usually standing up, leaning up against something. You know, there have been cases where guns have fallen down and shot off an of impact. Uh-huh. So Someone's legs or something. Yeah, just just be careful out there. Yeah, and you know, talking about it, just like that's a good good way to practice just trap shooting. You know, if you have a league around us or around you or a a place you can go trap shoot at, like an acreage or something, it's a pretty easy way to like get more familiar with your gun and and understand a little. It, and I do see similarities between it and hunting, but because you are swinging, but there's nothing really that's going to replicate a hunting situation. Yeah, no, definitely not. And lucky for us, we just got um a new sport clays or sporting clays range just five minutes from us oh we did yeah and that that's actually more like waterfowl because i've been told that like trap shooting is more pheasants because they just kind of fly in a straight line away from you yep yep but yeah but ducks kind of just will come in over the top just descending quickly or 
outside or anything like that. And that's more what sporting clays is. Yeah. But I've done it once and it, it was a lot more like ducks than trap shooting is. And it's really, it's really fun for a bunch of buddies to go do. Yeah. You know, another good way to do that is just someone with like a hand thrower, like a $20 hand thrower or whatever. Yeah. A good way to replicate that is because, you know, with some of those throwers, you kind of know where it's thrown to a certain extent where it's like someone's hand throwing, you don't ever know what you're going to get out of it. No, yeah. I mean, like sometimes you might get those pheasant shots. Sometimes you might get those cutting across your face, hard shots and everything. Or they might fling one to the sky and it's yeah. just coming straight down. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we got a buddy who... Or your practice sky busting. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I mean, we do plenty of that. I mean, those things are so unpredictable. You know, some... I mean, they all release different in a matter of how much swing you're putting on the throwing tool. They all go, it's all over the place. It's... Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's a lot yeah, of fun. Just you and a buddy, you know, go out and shoot some clays. You no, know, or I, I put my girlfriend on the on the hand thrower. You put your girlfriend Me on the hand and my thrower. My girlfriend's dad, and then my girlfriend uses the hand thrower. And she, she good. Throws. She good at throwing clays. I, better than me. Better than you? Yeah. <laughs> really? I don't... Oh, God. Well, that kind of works out well. I'm terrible with it. That's because you just want to be throwing. shooting. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I'm not here to throw clays. I mean, God, I suck at this. Can you throw them? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I don't miss, man. Okay, but some general tips are like for aiming for trap shooting honey. Like, what do you guys got? I know you said rice. You you shoot with both eyes open. Yep. I think rice taught me that when I was struggling a few years back. Yeah, because I look over at him. I'm like, he was just putting up. He was just putting his gun up to his shoulder, just shouldering the gun. No birds were coming. I'm like, are you really shooting with one eye open, one eye closed? I'm like, no, shoot with both eyes open. You can see a lot better. It really made a difference. Well, that's not just necessarily for aiming, but that's more for like your field of view for what's happening around you, such as like more birds coming in so you can have better target acquisition for maybe another bird or something along those lines. And one, one year when I was really struggling, you know, to hit birds, I was watching videos and I learned that if you, I mean, there's a sight on the shotgun, but I don't know about you guys, but. I don't look down the sight of my shotgun. No, I don't really use the, the orange bead on the tip. Yes. I just yep. look right. I just try to look right down the rail. You're supposed to point. You're supposed to just point. At, you're not supposed to aim a shotgun. You point a shotgun. Yeah, I think that's a good tip. And like even blacking out the clay. I've started doing yeah. that when I've been shooting lately and I've been having a lot more success. Yeah. And this, this is a good thing to talk about too with the shooting and not necessarily like a left hand versus right hand gun, but I kind of learned recently that like I'm left eye dominated. Which and I'm actually right-handed, and what that means, you know, you can look it up. There's a test you can do, and I just started shooting lefty this year with trap, and I'm way better. Really? Yeah. We'll see that in the blind this year. Huh? Yeah. How how does that work for you, Ethan? Because you have a right-handed shotgun, right? Yeah. How does how does that affect you at all shooting does a right-handed shotgun? Yeah. No, it does. It ejects so quick that like I don't really notice it. Yeah, we might have some. Yeah. spots on your nose once in a while <laughs> yeah i mean but i think it's like a big deal because i think like when we tried to trap before like with tyler and i we had a, I had a lot of trouble shooting at first yeah ethan was like you know he'd look back at me like what the heck's happening or something and i don't know <laughs> yeah so i mean just like kind of understand that because it's I was telling that, like a really simple fix that like you might not even know about and like shooting left-handed wasn't really that weird for me i guess but and going off of that too you know pattern your shotguns at the beginning of the year you know kind of see for yourself yeah. what your spread of bb's looks like mm -hmm. i patterned mine before the season i patterned it at 20 yards and 40 yards on i, I just drew like a i tried to draw a duck in a circle but it didn't work out very well it was just <laughs> not very something. artistic no i'm not very artistic <laughs> okay so explain what's the purpose of patterning your shotgun so you, you take a, a couple different shotgun shells out, like you can take a Super X, you can take a blue box, and maybe a heavy shot. That's what I did. And I, at 20 yards, I shot a heavy shot and then marked it out how many, how many BBs I had within my circle. I think I made the circle like a foot by a foot because that's about what a duck is. Yep. So I, I took my Sharpie and I went to the BB holes and I marked them all off for heavy shot in one color. Then I'd shoot the blue box. I'd mark all those BBs off that I had in the circle and I'd shoot the Super X, do the same thing. And then I would count how many BBs were in the circle for each shell. And then I'd write that down. And then I'd do it at 40 yards too, because it could be different. Obviously it's going to be different. There's going to be less BBs within the circle. Yeah. But yep. that's, I mean, it's 40 yards. 
So you're going to get that. You're going to get your BBs expanding. But I mean, it's good practice to know where you're at for sure. Yeah. And to know what ammo is best for you. I mean, some ammo shoot better than some shotguns. It's just, it's weird like that, but it, it it's true. Mm-hmm. Cater to your own shotgun. Find what works for you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way if you want to like mess around with chokes too, to kind of understand that. Yep. Yeah. Cause I did shoot, I shot with the full choke and then I shot with my improved or my modified. What do you, what do you think on that race? I'm, what do you, is there any benefit to buying a modded choke versus the standard choke that comes with your shotgun? Yes. Uh, some of them, some of the extended chokes or aftermarket chokes do pattern better than just a factory choke. I do like how my, uh, I have a kicks high flyer modified. Okay. I didn't like the full, it was too tight. It was too tight of a pattern for me, so I went to the modified, and I like how it patterns, and I like just the spread of the BBs. It works for me. So when you're patterned, is it just strictly like you're shooting at plywood at a target, or do you ever shoot trap too with it? Nope. You just shoot just straight on, just straight on a plywood target with a piece of paper on it. Okay. But then you're kind of determining like that you personally like the more... Like this spread fits what you want yep. to do more or your shot style. Yep. Then I'll I would buy that shot. I would buy that shotgun show. That's how I got Federal Blue Box. So I guess last topic we can discuss. Um do your research and be able to identify different waterfowl species because you know, like we've talked about early teal, you wanna know a lot of birds are very dull in color. Yeah, they're all Wood ducks are brown, or they're more grayish, but they are, they don't have much color. The young drakes especially don't have, they're not black like the adult male wood ducks. They're just kind of grayish. They look like a female, and females kind of do look like teal. Yep, and I remember telling Ethan when we first went out on that, out on that hunt, I think he asked me, you know, like, how do you determine what's what when they're flying past you? And you just, you kind of go with someone who yeah. knows what they're looking at, and once you figure it out for the first time, it's easy to determine afterwards. Yeah. And that's one of the things too, like, you know, just having someone like Jackson would, you know, cause we had groups that come in, Jackson, don't shoot, don't shoot, don't shoot. You know, there's green or whatever, there's woods or whatever. And then like, you know, next time we, so I won't shoot, you know, but if I didn't have someone like that, I probably would have shot. So having someone like that definitely does help. And, you know, I think another good thing is just kind of, you know, if you can go out and like watch birds and like glass them up maybe a little bit or kind of get close to them it's a good way because you know i obviously knew what a mallard duck looked like for my whole life but it is kind of a little different like for our area and just kind of seeing one Mm -hmm. up close with your own eyes yeah especially i mean they get given the name fast food yeah for a reason they're there and then they're gone you can decoy them pretty well though they do decoy well so what do you what do you look for jackson say it's early teal we're Shooting the first morning of early teal. What are you looking for when a bird flies by? I'm looking for a small, a smaller bird. So that takes out mallards. That'll take out some wood ducks, but some wood ducks are very small. And then you'll look for a gray wing patch because it's like a slate blue, baby blue, gray wing patch. But then you have to be careful. If you're looking for that, you have to be careful for uh, northern shovelers because they also have that wing patch. But we don't get those early ish season some states do some states don't but those are also bigger you can take those out if you're looking for small ones we don't shoot very many green wing teal so i'm not really looking for that but green wing teal are smaller than blue wing teal so you you would know if it was green wing yeah i mean it's like i said before you know once you see them it's yeah mostly i'm just looking for that gray wing patch and a small, super fast bird. And when they get close enough and they're decoying, you can tell. They have that, they have a little brown mark across their eye that you can see. If you get, it, that comes with time. But if you can get close enough and see them like that, you'll know. For sure. Jackson, you wrote a good article about that on the page Yeah, too. I did, if you want to check out that. Yeah, definitely check out that, that article. Goes more, that Jack- goes more in depth. Yeah, Jackson goes really in depth on identifying early season teal i think it'll help some people if they go read that and you know that's one thing too you know you can contact a dnr officer to kind of understand like what species will be around during early teal yeah and, and we learned something last year yeah, when we, we took did. birds off the lake we got uh we got stopped by the dnr officer 
at the boat ramp, showed him our birds, licenses, whatnot, and we just asked him. <laughs> we just asked him. I may have skipped a couple things, but well, me and Twenty might have forgot one of our parts of our licenses. But we got that figured out. We didn't get a ticket for it. But yeah, we asked him. We're like, hey, how do you? Because we weren't, we couldn't tell the difference between a male and a female. Um, because he feel. he just picked him up, right? He's like, oh, he just picked him up. He's like, oh, this is Drake and Drake, Drake and whatever. I'm like, how the how do you know that? Because to me, they all look the same. Yep. But to him, they didn't. And it's something with the speculum being longer on the birds. Yeah, on their tail feather, right? on their tail feathers. And then the white patch, which is called the speculum, on their wing. Okay. But, I mean, yeah, going ahead and asking DNR officers, I mean, they are officers for for a reason. Yeah, they're there for you. They're there to keep the population healthy and... They're there to ensure that we can shoot ducks the next year. Yeah. So they, I mean, their knowledge on waterfowl during that season, Mm -hmm. I mean, all the time is very significant and can boost your knowledge as well. Yeah. So you guys got anything more to add? I think you did a great job, boys. Yeah. Uh, Just just an update. Me and Swenny bought decoys for this season we're pumped about that we're getting ready goose, uh, goose decoys yeah we could do a video on painting them yeah we I, could. Th- I think we're gonna do a video on painting decoys we got we bought some decoys and they the paint was just shredded on them so we are gonna repaint those and we will do a video on that yeah i think that's a good option because i think when everybody looks at decoy prices for like new ones you're like holy shit that's a lot yeah. of money so i mean if you can kind of fix and touch them some up. I mean, that's a good way to save some money. Yeah. Uh-huh, and there's, you know, another man's trash or one man's trash is another man's treasure. And I think that's kind of how we, yeah, that's how we're looking at it. Cause these decoys, the body and the head, the head has all the flocking on it and the bodies are still in great shape, but it's just missing paint. I don't know what, I don't know what the guy did. Yeah, I have no idea, <laughs> but we, just, we treat our, all off of we them. treat our decoys very well yeah, I don't once know what they they're in our hands. So these, these decoys were bagged too. I don't know what happened, but anyways, um, so if, if you're a beginner looking to get in waterfowl, don't, don't be afraid to hit, uh, the dusted waterfowl podcast. I mean, at hunt fish conserve, don't, don't be afraid to hit us up and ask us questions. We're more than willing to answer questions. Um, be on the lookout for n- new videos and yep, new, new videos, blogs, new blogs, new uh, podcasts. Yep. Um, our YouTube's about to be popping. Yeah. So don't gonna... be and look for the Hunt Fish Conserve page. We're always posting on there as well. And yeah, we post a lot on there. We post really cool videos. Uh, Fly Tie Friday is the new. Yep big thing we're doing and it is really cool you should check it out on our yeah. page ethan, our last one kind of went got a lot of views actually yeah, a lot of views. Yeah, it did. yeah ethan did very well on that yep, video that very looked funny. awesome so go check that out gotta get those waterfall wednesdays rolling waterfall wednesdays that's gonna be a new thing i mean yep. we got a we got a lot of big things to come so yep. hot tips wednesday or something like yes you guys. Yep. yeah for sure so yep. get ready 